So this uh, Sunday is the um, sixth Sunday after Trinity, or seventh Sunday after Pentecost, and uh, we have a full um, full week full of um, different saints, um, most of whom we we know very little about, um, but yet they're um, they've made significant marks on the history of the church and uh, the history of the world. Saturday, the 22nd, is the feast day of St. Mary Magdalene, uh, or uh, Mary of Magdala. Um, she's, of course, a prominent figure in the Bible, and she's mentioned, um, actually mentioned more than most of the apostles in the four Gospels, hmm. oddly enough. Um, she, um, in Luke's Gospel, we read that the Lord cast seven demons out of her, and from that point onward, she was closely associated with uh, with the Lord and the apostles, and she um, supported their ministry and traveled with them. She was near Jesus at the fo- at the foot of the cross, and she was really the principal witness, you know, first witness of the empty tomb and the resurrection. And she went forth sort of as the apostle to the apostles to proclaim that the Lord indeed has had rose, as he had promised. Um, and from from there, she continued doing the same thing. Now, uh, the Western tradition has identified her with with the um, prostitute in the Gospels, but that is completely unfounded, not correct. Um, and so the West has been trying to correct that sort of idea. Moving along with that, they say that after she preached with the apostles, she went up to France and moved into a cave and spent 30 years like as like with the Desert Fathers in complete contem- solo, solitary contemplation. Um, and the, the angels would come and minute, she'd converse with the angels and then she was, she died and was taken up into heaven. Um, the Eastern tradition, and the more reliable tradition, is that Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene was always virtuous. In fact, so chaste that the devil was not sure if she would be the one who would give birth to the Christ um, is the way they look at it and they also have her of course being an apostle and um, spreading the gospel and she is the patron saint of Mount Athos which is that giant cluster of monasteries in Greece and really probably the most important sort of set of monasteries for the, the Greek church um Monday, July 24th, is the feast day of Thomas Akempis. Um, what we know about him is incredibly small. Like he was born in Kempen um, around the year 1380, and he um, was taught and then took vows in this group of Augustinian monks that were known as the Brethren of the Common Life. And the Brethren of the Common Life promoted like the idea of like personal Bible study and and personal like worship and like just contemplation of God's word as opposed to like scholasticism or like the, you know, studying all the philosophers and theologians and the great churchmen. They were, they lived lives of very quiet contemplation and biblical studies supported themselves by copying manuscripts and, and things like that. And Thomas was one of their members. He took vows 
Uh, he joined the order in 1399, took vows in 1407, was ordained a priest in 1415, and made sub-prior of the monastery in 1425. And that's really all we know about him. But he wrote the second most translated and read work ever. I mean, after the Bible comes his work, uh, The Imitation of Christ. Um, and it's really not even that remarkable of a, of a document. It's a lot of scripture and quotes from the mystics and the church fathers and the, some theologians, but it's just beautifully arranged, and it has served countless generations as just a great work of devotion. Um, it's actually truly one of the world's great books. Uh, about five years ago, I think, I, I showed up to daily mass at a, at a church in Detroit and it happened to be Thomas's feast day, and the priest there said that when he, when he became a Christian, he asked the priest what he should read, and the priest said, you, you should go read Thomas Kempis, The Imitation of Christ, and St. Augustine's Confessions. And so he just went out and bought them and just read them, basically. Like, he stayed up all night reading Thomas Kempis and then stayed up all the next night reading the Confessions. Um, so I've been trying to read Thomas Kempis for the last five years. Um, haven't haven't met with much success, so I can't give you great quotes, but let me give you two. Um, the book is arranged in four parts, and usually we get the first three, uh, because the fourth book is all about the Eucharist and how the the faithful Christian should should receive the Eucharist as much as poss possible. So when, and this is very true, when Protestants translate it, or if like Penguin Books translate it. They don't. They kind of take out the fourth book because it's it's just a little too intensely, you know, traditionally Christian slash Catholic. Um, but that fourth book is really important. So let me give you a couple choice quotes because this book is really important. So this is from uh, book one. A true understanding and humble estimate of oneself is the highest and most valuable of all lessons. To take no account of oneself, but always to think well and highly of others, is the highest wisdom and perfection. Should you see another person openly doing evil, or carrying out a wicked purpose, do not on that account consider yourself better than him, for you cannot tell how long you will remain in a state of grace. We are all frail. Consider none more frail than yourself. That's at the very beginning of the book. Can I just... Like, like Benedict and all the great saints that we, we read and study, it's the beginning of these books kind of encourage everybody to look at themselves um, very humbly. And, and so as we begin to, to follow the Lord, we can get a good sense of ourselves so we can truly father, follow him. Um, and the book is, is very similar to that, that quote, and um, I would highly encourage everybody to read it. It's my big, my big goal for the next week. Um, that's Thomas Akempis. The what's that? It's called a last name A Kempis. Oh, A with like sort of an accent mark over it, and then K E M P I S. The twenty fifth, twenty fifth, yeah, twenty fifth of July, Tuesday, is the feast day of Saint James the Great, Great or Saint James the Elder, an apostle. Uh, again, somebody we don't know that much about. All we really know is what the Bible tells us. He was um, 
the son of Zebedee and the brother of John the Apostle. And he was a part of like the inner circle of the apostles. You have Peter, James, and John all sort of tied together. So at the, when the transfiguration happened and Jesus, you know, his divinity is clearly showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter and James and John are there. Um, Jesus referred to James and John as the sons of thunder. Uh, they were they were very they were very zealous, very bold. Um, when they were about a preaching tour in Samaria and the Samaritans wouldn't hear Jesus' message, they were the first to say, hey, Jesus, why don't you just call down lightning and burn the city down? Um, so <laughs> Jesus had to teach them, teach them a couple things about, about peace and humility. Uh, you'll remember also that James and John came to Jesus um, and asked to sit on both sides of his kingdom, you know, the throne in his kingdom. And Jesus said to them both, you know, I can't do that. It's not mine to offer, but, you know. Their mother? Their mother, yes, was also involved in this, too. Um, Wait, their mom told them to do that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A good, a good Jewish mother came with them to Jesus um, to uh, get them a place of prominence in the kingdom. Wasn't it she that said it? Like, like she, I, I thought it was... Uh, well, like not you see, they there's, said it there's, to Jesus, there's but like she was like, "Hey, you know." We, there's we two different songs. accounts, so I'm oh, trying okay. to like harmonize right. the accounts. Gotcha. Um, I think that's that account would be more of um, probably Matthew's account, whereas mm -hmm. Luke or Mark would give it a, tell it a little bit different. But anyway, yes, the mother, their mother, was also involved in this this event, um, and and. Um, <laughs> Jesus said to, to, to James and John, not, not their mother, you know, will you, will you be able to drink the cup that I drink? And they said yes. And of course uh, uh, they, they did. James especially. Uh, James was the first of the twelve to be martyred. Um, and he was beheaded under Herod. And, um, and so he, he, he indeed fulfilled that, um, you know, following in martyrdom, um, same way the Lord did. Um, there is like a tradition that in between the resurrection and his martyrdom, his very early martyrdom, that he went to Spain to uh, preach the gospel. And uh, he, he didn't have a lot of success. He only gathered around him nine disciples. <laughs> so he, he left two and went back to Jerusalem where he was martyred. That is a very early tradition. I don't know if it holds any weight, but in Spain where his relics are, I mean, they're, they're just devoted to, to St. James the Great. And it was, it was there um, in Campostela, and it remains to this day the great pilgrimage site uh, you know, in Spain. I mean, thousands upon thousands of pilgrims each year make this great pilgrimage through Spain to Campostela um, you know, to visit St. James' relics. And, and all that. And there's a beautiful church there. Maybe some of you have seen it on YouTube. It's the one that has that massive giant sensor oh, that they, that yeah. they, 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 like, the it takes two, yeah, they yeah. take the, like, it's like, it's huge. It takes like two or three priests to just grab onto it and it like, swings through the whole church. I mean, it's massive. Um, that's, that's where the, the pilgrimage ends. So. Um, a very important site in European Christendom, um, all based around St. James, but we really have no idea if he, he was ever there, but his body's there, 
It is a pious legend to me. It is a pious. Believe it. Yeah, I choose to believe. Oh it. yeah, I, I yeah. I, if you go to Campostello, I would say that his his you're definitely gonna be with his relics. So, um, and then the last feast day, um, again, people we don't know very much about. Uh, the 26th of July, uh, Anne, Saint Anne, and Saint Jehoiachim, um, the parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary. All we know is that they were sort of, they were mean devout Jewish people, and uh, they had grown sort of old, and, you know, were facing the so social shame, stigma of not having a child, and they, they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and then eventually they gave birth to Mary, and out of gratitude, they offered her to the temple priest, and so Mary was brought up by the priest's in the temple and was so made ready, you know, in terms of education and piety to, you know, to be the mother of our Lord. And also supernatural preparation um, goes along with that too. That's all we know about them. Um, but they, they've certainly been um, a great part of the Christian tradition. When Luther was struggling as Luther struggled and trying to figure out his, his great vocation in life. Whether he was going to be a lawyer or a monk, um, he got caught in a lightning storm and he thought he was going to die and he prayed to St. Anne that she would protect him. And so he was protected and, um, and um, became a monk. Yeah, yeah, he was not. He wanted Luther to be a lawyer. <laughs> Saint Anne came through. Um, they were minors. She's she's a patron saint of minors. Um, but anyway, um, a little story about Saint Anne. Those are the great feasts for uh, this week, the sixth week after Trent.